Good morning, family. Happy New Year. You all look just as good this year as you did last year. Amen. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, thank you so much for this precious privilege that we have to gather as a family under the authority of your word. Thank you that you smiled on us and you brought us into a new season. A season, Lord, of difficulty and challenges and trials. Uh, as we look at our world and all the many things that are happening there, and we know that you are with us and that you will lead us and you will guide us. So as we come today to this text, we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears. Give us, Lord, a great grace as we listen to what your spirit has to say to the church. And then, Lord, remember me that my feet are but clay and give me preaching power and preaching permission yet one more time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are going back to our study in the book of Luke this morning. We had taken a short break to preach the Advent series for a couple of weeks, so come on, jog back with me to the book of Luke. We are walking through Luke's gospel, and when we left off from there, we were in chapter 4, chapter 4. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 13 is where we start. I believe the text is on the screen for you. So would you help me? Uh, preach this morning by reading the text with me, all right? So let's read as a family. Let's begin. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to tag this first message of the new year, no love in Nazareth. No love in Nazareth. Beloved, there are some places in this earth 
that are just not safe places to go. And these places usually have reputations that come alongside of them. Sometimes they get these tags because they're of unfavorable rumors and maybe even stereotypes that accompany them. You see, somebody has personally experienced something negative from actually being in these locations. Nazareth, about Nazareth, a devilish kind of people. And I'll be listening for your amen right through there, all right? So come on, help me preach. Tell your neighbor, help him preach today. It's the first year. It's the first year. Help him preach today. Verse 16. The text says in verse 16 through 21, So he came to Nazareth, where he was brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And as he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, when he opened the scroll of the book, he found the place in the scripture, Elder Hung, where it was written, the spirit of the Lord, he said, is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to preach uh, to heal the brokenhearted, rather, and to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then the Bible says, and then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all eyes were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let me tell you why this is so cool. Jesus broke all the rules when it came to preaching. See, in the Jewish context, they didn't have pastors that oversaw a local congregation. They had attendants that took care of the flock, and they would have visiting rabbis come through, and they would take turns reading from the scrolls. And you had to read whatever they put in front of you. But Jesus did not do that. When he got there on that Saturday and the Sabbath, he took the scroll, opened it, and it fell on Isaiah. And then he reads his own prophecy about himself. That's just good preaching right there. Come on, say amen. Can I work some more for you in this text? I'm going to need y'all to talk back to me today. Okay. When you come here, the first thing we see is that Jesus had a practice. His practice was going to church on the Sabbath. It's what he did. It was his spiritual formation. Second of all, the writer in the text reveals to us that when he gets to the synagogue, all those cool things I just said to you, when he got the scroll, he opened it to the prophetic calling of Isaiah. Isaiah the reading that he was reading was actually talking about Jesus. So he reads his calling to the congregation that was gathered there. He announces in the scripture what his ministry was going to be. And then second of all, Elder, Elder Cho, he announced that the year of Jubilee had come. 
You say, what's that? Well, the acceptable year of the Lord refers to a passage in Leviticus 25. It was the 50th year of the nation of Israel when everything in Israel was to be restored back to the way God intended it to be. Jesus had announced Jubilee is here in his presence. And finally, he announced that all this was done by the grace of God. Here's what I learned from that passage, beloved. In his first sermon in his home church, and right out the gate, he declares, I'm about to do big things for God. When they had never seen him do anything for God before. He, thank you, somebody got it, all right. He declares that God had called him to do it, and now the time was right. He was making all things new. Now, this would have been alarming to a number of the Nazarenes in that crowd because Nazareths or people from Nazareth, they didn't really work for God like that. They weren't really like outward kind of people who would declare God is doing this in my life and I'm doing something big for God. They didn't talk like that. Nazareth, folks from Nazareth, didn't see themselves as people Brother Norm, who would do big things for God? And sometimes it's dangerous in the new year, stay with me, family, to announce your ministry plans to people who know you. Thank you. Sometimes the ones you want to celebrate your calling are not the ones who can handle your calling. Sometimes those who are the closest to you are the ones who really don't understand you. Here it is. It's hard to share what the Lord has given you with people who haven't seen the Lord work. We can learn from this verse that Nazareth was not the other cities in Galilee. It was a place that watched Jesus grow up. It was the place that knew his lineage. It was the place that knew where he worked and how he played, and they only had one vision for his life. That was to remain in Nazareth and do what we tell you to do. I'm hunting for an amen right there. The Nazarenes couldn't see that they had become a bad place to live with a bad reputation. The story is told about a columnist named Marilyn who wrote an article giving a perspective on one of her writers. Someone wrote in and said, Miss Marilyn, I noticed that my neighbor's yard was a lot greener than mine. So I did an experiment. I went over to my neighbor's side of the fence and I looked back and discovered that my yard wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Why is that? Marilyn said, sometimes you're standing too close to what it is you're trying to see. But if you step back, you can see that your neighbor's yard is green because you couldn't see the dirt. Sometimes other people's lives look better than yours because you can't see the dirt. But the truth is, everybody's got some dirt in their lives. I'm trying to get an amen right there. 
So before you go looking in somebody else's yard, right? Always remember, it's not as green as you think it is. Can I get a witness? Guess what was happening in Nazareth? They couldn't see how green Jesus' life was. Why? Because their lives were filled with their own dirt. Well, we've looked at Nazareth as a different kind of place. Let's look now at Nazareth with a different kind of perspective. The Bible says in verse 22 and 23, so all the people in the synagogue that day who bore witness to him they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Listen to what they said, family. Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, you're going to surely say to me, physician, heal yourself. And whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And then he said, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I will tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout the whole land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Many lepers were in Israel in that time and Elisha the prophet. And, none of, and, he was, and to none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Listen to Jesus explain this. Beloved, when we come to this portion of the text, you see what I call is a different kind of perspective. They don't respond, Elder Ken, to hearing the words of Christ like those who were hungry for the interpretation of the word. He had just announced, God has called me to do this great miracle. But their response was, is this Joseph's son? Well, what do you mean, Pastor? They, they were not inclined to rejoice that Jesus had been called by God to do something great. They wanted to zero in on his humanity, meaning who did this boy think he is? We know you. In other words, yes, they didn't have any new biblical insight. No understanding of the observation and interpretation and the application of the word of God applied to the son of the city, Jesus the Christ. They got offended at what God was doing in Jesus' life. Can I get a witness? Listen, worship was different in Nazareth. It was different. See, if you were not one of their own, you were not accepted. Why? They had a different perspective on things. Jesus was from Nazareth, but left there to begin his father's work, and when he came back, he was despised by those who were once his friends. Why, Pastor? Well, they had a different perspective. Nazarenes knew their teachers, see, and they knew who and what they were capable of teaching. They also knew there were no rabbinical schools in Nazareth that could teach him about the prophetic ministry of Isaiah. How does he come back now from this mission trip talking about I'm going to be the deliverer? They didn't know the wisdom from which he spoke from. Why, they had a different perspective. Can I say right here? Sometimes in your Nazareth, your own people won't like what God is doing in you. 
sometime in your Nazareth, your own people who want to hold you back from making progress in the things of God. Sometimes in your own Nazareth, your people will be the ones who will question what the Lord has said to you and told you to do. Sometimes in your Nazareth, their mentality can be negative and nasty, non-compliant to what God is doing right under their noses. Beloved, that's why I say earth is a lot like Nazareth. When God calls you and sets you apart, for him to do something great for him in the earth, and you try to come back to those old communities and say, I'm living for God now. They'd be like, please. This year, I'm off my notes now. Those of you who have heard God call you to walk for him and live for him in this new world, in this new generation, in these difficult days, you're going to experience some rejection. You're going to experience some hard things because those people you once hung around and God has called you to do something different and do something new will no longer accept you. I'm talking to my young nieces and nephews today. Jesus experienced that. You're not alone. Can I get a witness right there? Notice what Jesus says to them. He says, you're going to say this to me. He tells them what they're going to say to him. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you've done in Capernaum, those are those other cities, cities he was in, do here also in your own country. And I say to you, no prophet, listen to his words, no prophet is accepted in his own country. I like this for so many reasons. I'm so glad he didn't do ministry to be accepted. I just dropped something right there. You cannot live for God wanting the world to accept you. You cannot go into troubling places, RCC, and lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ because you want to be accepted. Remember, the Bible says he came to his own and his own did not accept him. Quit trying to be accepted by people and be obedient to God. Jesus models that for us. Why is this important? It's important for us to know as we go forward in 2023 that they took issue with Jesus' words because they didn't have this knowledge that he had. They took issue with Jesus for his ministry. And here's why I think they did it. Are you ready? If I'm wrong, Brother Josh, I'll come back and tell you I'm wrong, but I think I nailed it this time. I think they took issue with him being from Nazareth because they were over-familiar with him. What do you mean? They were too close to the vessel to appreciate its value. They can't accept the prophet Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, because they don't speak for God, work for God, appreciate God, or see what God is doing in him. So they are over familiar with the messenger and believe that they know what the messenger was all about. He gave an example. He talked about Elijah ministering to the one man in the country 
named Naaman, who was a Gentile, out of all of the other lepers. He talked about the woman who was a widow. Only one out of all the other widows in the country. God had picked them to minister to them. And these that he was talking to were not going to be selected by God to hear and understand what it was that God was doing. And I said to myself, what a tragedy. God was right there, Jesus, ready to bless them. But their mentalities got in the way. What a tragedy. They had an opportunity to engage with God, and they missed it. What a tragedy. They had an opportunity of a lifetime to serve God, but gave it away because of their small minds and their immaturity. They were over-familiar with Christ. And because of their over-familiarity, they couldn't receive what he was saying. The story is told about two liberal sociologists who one day were walking down the street. They saw a man lying unconscious. He had been beat. He had been robbed. And he was left to die. One of the sociologists walked over to him, Elder Hung, and looked at his colleague and said, colleague, whoever did this, they really need our help. Did you catch it? They missed an opportunity to serve someone who was hurting because their desire was on doing something else. Listen, this year, when God shows you the broken, RCC, when he shows you the hurting, don't overlook them to do something best. He's inviting you to minister right there where the broken and the hurting is. That's how you know it's a call from God. He said, I came to set at liberty those who were captive. Many times I think in the church we get it all twisted. And we've missed, overlooked the very thing he's calling us to do because we want to do what we want to do. Instead of looking for what he's showing you, he's doing. I need a witness right through that. We've looked at a different kind of place and a different kind of perspective. I'll land the plane now and talk about a devilish kind of people. The Bible says in verse 28, so all those, and you'll see why I call them devilish right here, in the synagogue, when they heard these things, look at what the Bible says, they were filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him, this is Jesus, down off the cliff. And then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. When you come to this last portion of the text, Deacon Star, we see an angry spirit arise in the synagogue and in the hearts of the residents of Nazareth. They were tripping over Jesus' sermon. His sermon struck a nerve that they didn't like. And as a result of their unbelieving hearts, they tried to run him out of town and throw him over.
you ask? Well, because he exposed what was in their hearts. That was enough to try to silence his voice, to stop his ministry before it started. As a result of their anger and their demonic defiance and disrespectful spirit, they refused to believe in Jesus the Christ. Can I show you something here, RCC? History tells us that many times God's messengers are always hated by their communities. Remember the story about Joseph? How his brothers mistreated him and sold him into slavery? Remember the story about Moses who came to them as a deliverer to rescue them and how in the end the people rise up against him? Why do you think it's strange if it happens to you on your job? If it happens to you in your schools? If it happens to you with your relatives? Because you're the witness. If it happens faithfully to the men and women of God of all beloved, it's got your name on it too. Here's what I learned. History teaches us that over-familiarity always breeds contempt. I'll say some more. Knowing people well sometimes can also make you despise them. We see it in our homes. Husbands and wives can take a vow to love you forever until the wheels fall off. But then all somewhere through the marriage, start to despise one another because of over-familiarity. Children that you bring into the world can grow up sometime and they think, my parents are idiots, they don't know anything, and start to despise the ones that gave them life and brought them in. Why? Over-familiarity always breeds contempt. Congregation calls a pastor to come and love them and lead them and feed them the word of God. And if they're not careful, can start to despise the one who's laid their life down to care for them. Why? Over-familiarity always breeds contempt. I know that's tight, but it's right. You know what happened in Nazareth? Over-familiarity caused them now to want to take the son of the city who announces that he's the Messiah, the son of God. He's done all these miracles, and in spite of what they know, they want to end his ministry and end his life. Why? Unbelief had robbed Nazareth of their own blessing. They had access to the Lamb of God. And yet we read in the text, the congregation rose up to thrust him out of the city to get rid of the one who had come to save him. Oh, beloved, as I'm landing the plane now, when we come to this last portion of the text, I like to call this, uh, Elder Day, the horrors of ministry. His own village, his own people, his own tribe, his own clan rise up to assassinate the word. His own people rise up to silence his voice. His own people attempt to destroy what God is doing in him and through him because they don't believe him. 
And this is what really got me, beloved. They do it in a mob mentality. It's not one of them that wants to take him outside the city and fight him. It's not a few of them that wants to take him and nail him to the cross now. No, they do it in what I call, Brother Josh, is a corporate frenzy. What do you mean? Everybody got involved. Here it is, Dr. Dave. The loudmouths were involved. The silent participants were involved. The boisterous personalities were involved. Those who were just following in the crowd, they all got in it together and they did it together because no one individual would be claimed to have dirty hands. We're going to kill him as a group. That's horrifying. The one who came to save them to reconcile them back into a right relationship with God. They're going to kill him. Doesn't that look like the world? Nazareth? Yeah. If there's a warning I could tag to this, this text right here for us going into the new year, I want to warn you about the world's behavior. Beloved, beware this year of corporate rebellion against God. Watch for it in the world's systems. Why? Because it's unbelief. It's demonic. It's diabolical. It's devilish. It's anti-God and anti-Christ. It's anti-faith. And it calls for a community of people to rise up and try to assassinate the word of the one who's come to redeem us. The world has contempt for God and contempt for his world and his word and his, his will. Can I get a witness right there? You know, they don't care about you praying in here. Just don't pray in school. Are you listening? They don't care about you loving in here. Just don't love those out there who they too want to hate. The world has great contempt for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you go into 2023, don't expect a love fest from those who hate your God. Where there's contempt, harmony cannot dwell together. Where there's contempt, true worship cannot abide. Where there's contempt, there will be, uh, yes, evil in the midst uh, and attacks for those who uphold the word. Where there is contempt in any relationship, Peace cannot rule and reign. Remember Jesus said, the world's going to hate you, Angelus, just like it hated me. Why do I live my life trying to be friends with the world? I'm to win the world, share the love of God with the world, but I'm not to be like the world. The Bible tells me to come out from among them, to be a witness for them. Part of our problem is we want to have a little of the world and a little of the Christ. I beg and stand before you as your interim this morning. You got to decide whose side you're going to be on, who you're going to live for in a dark, in a dying world. Well, I'm out of my preaching minutes, but as I land the plane, there was no love in Nazareth for the one who came to save Nazareth. There was no love in Nazareth for the one who came to die for their sins. 
There was no love for Nazareth for the one who came to give them life. There was no love in Nazareth for God's sin offering. There was no love in Nazareth for the one who was God in flesh, Emmanuel. There was no love in Nazareth because their hearts were hard and they didn't want to receive the living word of God. Nazareth needed a savior, but she didn't want one. Nazareth needed a word from God, but she didn't want one. Nazareth needed a prayer intercessor, but she didn't want one. Nazareth needed a helper, but she didn't want one. Could have been saved, but they chose to reject him. They could have been healed, but chose not to believe. Could have been changed, but chose to reject the change agent of God. Jesus, nevertheless, didn't let that stop him. The Bible said that as they tried to kill him, he just pushed his way through the crowd because he knew that's not how his ministry would end. And you can see him from there pushing his way toward Calvary's cross. And out on the cross... He would die for Nazareth, even though Nazareth wanted nothing to do with him. Out on the cross, he would pay the sin debt for those who hated him. Out on the cross, he would give up his life that they might have an opportunity to have everlasting life. He died on an old rugged cross, didn't he die? They took his body down, put it in a borrowed tomb, and inside of the tomb, he took the sting out of death, victory over the grave, and early Sunday morning with all power of heaven and earth in his hand, God the Father raised him back to life, and now he sits at the right-hand throne of God, still making intercession for those who don't like him, for those who have rejected him. That's the gospel, beloved, and that's what we've been called to uphold, to preach and proclaim in 2023. Yes, there's no love in Nazareth, for the Christ, but there is love in Christ for Nazareth. And all God's people said, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for this precious privilege and moment. Thank you for how your scriptures inform us of the condition and the times in which we live. Thank you for Jesus' ministry. May we have the heart and the mind of Christ to live like he lived in difficult and dangerous days. May we too be witnesses in a broken Nazareth, in a place that needs salt, that needs light, and that needs love. Help us to do exactly what you did, Jesus, and we'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. And all God's people said, amen.